You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, welcome to another podcast episode, 12th of June, uh, 2022, five, five minutes to 10 in the morning. Yeah, I'm trying to get this one done early on the Sunday, actually, mainly because it's hot, which means it's uh, hot in this oven of a house, and therefore I want to do it when it's a bit cooler. But also I want to get on with the episode before the kids start going outside in the suburbs area and making so much noise that I can't physically, like, you know, concentrate on anything. Oop, just to shift the camera there slightly. There we go. That's a little bit better, isn't it? So, yeah, so thanks for joining me. It, you know, it's been an interesting week for, you know, work and, well, a couple of weeks actually for me as a personal thing. But mainly you may have noticed that content was a little sporadic lately, mainly because I went to a uh, my brother's wedding. Uh, so I didn't go to the UK Games Expo this year because I had to obviously go to that. Uh, I will definitely be there for 2023. You're going to need to do something pretty big in order to drag me away from the expo again. But I spent a lot of May pers- um, under personal training to try and get in shape to fit into my outfit better. I'm still doing I'm not doing personal training anymore, but I am still, you know, I mean, I, I always went to the gym before. But now that I've got a new kind of focus and a plan and a new style of doing exercises and that. So I'm sort of continuing with it. But that took up a lot of May. And mainly, I just had to prepare for that. I mean, Jubilee weekend in the UK for me was solely the wedding. I didn't do a single thing to do with the royal family. I'm not I'm not into that sort of thing. So, you know, it was all wedding, 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 wedding. And that took up at least about a week last week to deal with that. But suffice to say, went perfectly. Everything from the weather to the ceremony to the, you know, to the after parties and stuff like that, you know, other than one very bad DJ on the second day, which let's face it, I think all DJs kind of, uh, you know, (laughs) aren't particularly great, honestly. It's just not my style. Um, I much prefer the live band that they had. But you know, other than that, the whole thing just went great. It was like non-religious. It was, well, I say non-religious. It, was, it wasn't traditional. We didn't do it in the church or anything like that. It was all personal at their place, outside, you know, these tent teepee things, whatever they're called, in order to like host people for eating. It was so nice. I even got up and said a few words or something literally off the fly, ad-libbed it. People were really happy about that. I think I must have had too much to drink to get the confidence to even think of doing that. But, oh, well, they liked it. And so, yeah, a really good ceremony all round. And, you know, now that's over and done with. They've had the little mini honeymoon and all is well. But yeah, that took up a bit of time, but I'm just glad it went well. So, you know, best wishes to my brother and his new wife. It's going to be my new sister-in-law. Can't I love it. But other than that, the channel has been a little bit on the disappointing side lately, uh, not just because of what I was saying, but is it just this time of year or is something going on? Because views have been down quite a bit lately. Now, granted, I haven't done a lot of top tens, which I know is what gets the biggest views. I'm remedying that, more on that in a minute. But, you know, I put out a fair few reviews, you know, Caesar, Get On Board, Wonderland's War, First Contact, uh, Alice's Garden, uh, The Works of Wonder, uh, Architects of West Kingdom expansion, the Gingopolis expansion. They're I get the idea that these probably aren't, apart from the Architects one, these aren't the most popular games in the world, although I'm very surprised that First Contact 
got so many views as it did, you know, for a, for an express review. I'm pretty pleased with that one. But I mean, that one's catching up to Wonderland's War. And Wonderland's War got so much buzz. So I'm curious as to why that's not doing better than it is. Uh, but then, you know, I go further on and Works of Wonder is not doing too bad. But the Alice's Garden is a fairly unheard of game. So that wasn't expecting to get much. But just the other videos I've done lately, I've done two giveaways, one with Kienda and one with Zatu. Uh, Kienda was uh, giving away a bunch of games, and I don't expect a giveaway to get a lot of views. I mean, that one's just a nice, fun UK giveaway. But I did a huge video on why Catan is not dead, as in why Catan is still a fun game to this day. And that's only that's not even broken a thousand views yet. And it's been several, it's been nearly a week now. Uh, I don't get why that one is not doing as well. Maybe the fact that it had plus UK giveaway on the thumbnail and people obviously, if they know it's a UK thing, they probably won't watch it. Now, granted, I know it's a bit of a shame that these places have only decided to post to UK. The shipping crisis is always a pain. However, what I might try to do with them next time is ask that, can we do it worldwide if the person who wins it from worldwide is willing to pay for the postage? If that's the case, if they can do that, then that would be great because I would like to open these competitions to worldwide and not just keep it to the UK because, I mean, her country's busted enough as it is. The the fact that, you know, publishers are unwilling to send review copies to anyone small in the UK now because of the, the fact that it costs a bond to ship is a pain. Uh, it's it, it really does hurt us. Brexit hurt us badly with the uh, board game like hobby and like YouTube creation. You know, Paul Grogan has similar problems. Other UK creators who aren't like big and famous have that similar problem. It's just things have gone kind of downhill. But yeah, you know, things were going better. I mean, the last top 10 worker placement games, you know, has done well. Although I kind of expected something based on one of the most popular genres to do better. But I mean, it's done well. But yeah, some of the other stuff in the past has done better overall but still i have noticed that bit of a decline in views and it is a bit disheartening when you put up a lot of stuff and it doesn't really get watched now some of that is going to be down to doing more top tens and as i said i'm working on that uh last night i did a live stream yes the collaborations are back people are now off their holidays or whatever they're doing you know they're, they're available to chat and so I did one yesterday with uh, Ninja Geek Games, apparently lives in Taunton, you know, where I'm from hometown-wise. I didn't know that. I knew he lived in the UK, but didn't realize he literally lived in my hometown. So I need to find an excuse to go around this next time visiting the parents. But, or even Paul Grogan, for that matter. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Actually. Yeah, Paul Grogan, visit one day and then go to Ninja Geek the next. But we did top 10 games for six players. And it's a long stream. You know, it's over two hours, but you can listen to it in audio form if you don't want to watch the whole video. But we got chatting. There was a lot of discussion. And these are two very different lists. <laughs> His tasting games is very different to mine, especially when it comes to what he does with six players. You're going to get no crossover at all. And you're going to see very different lists. You know, I, I do recommend giving it a watch. It was a good laugh. And it won't be the last collaboration for a while. Uh, solo playthroughs and I are going to do top 10 games we've cooled down on. At some point later this month, I think we've penciled in the 28th on the Tuesday evening, I think. So, well, in my case, Tuesday evening, but uh, <laughs> daytime for him. But yeah, I think we got that one in the pipeline. And I mean, you know, I'm trying to get other people as well to turn up. Um, there's a new podcaster who's turns it anyway, who are local to me. Uh, well, not local Hampshire, but local UK. And they, they've started up and they're a nice bunch of people. In fact, one of them was an old schoolmate. And the... 
you know, they're doing a podcast at the moment. They've just started. And I've said, you know, you want me as a guest, that'd be great. But they've also been up for doing a collaboration at some point. So, you know, hopefully they'll be willing to join a live stream and we can do a top 10 list with them. I think they mentioned one which was top 10 niche games, but that might be getting done by someone else. I'm not sure. But, you know, we're going to there's more collaborations on the horizon. And I look forward to getting more of them out. But as well as the collaborations, I am planning to do more top 10s. I mean, we did six-player games. I'm going to do one for five-player games. Um, I'm looking into whether intellectual properties is one that I can do a top 10 list on. Uh, maybe I'll just pick another genre and just go for gateway games. Or uh, people have requested me to update my two-player games. So I might do free lists where I do top 10 casual two-player, mid-weight two-player, advanced two-player, that kind of thing. You know, that could be pretty sweet. So I definitely want to do two more top 10s. That's not to say that there aren't plenty of reviews coming, but I'm definitely going to have to think about maybe just biting the bullet and doing mixed like group reviews for the very low, like the low buzz games. Uh, but there's been a lot to do. I mean, I've got, you know, look at, on my table at the moment, I'm literally looking at Viticulture World, which I'm planning to give the beans and review this week. And, you know, that is talking about the game and not the... Um, you know, slightly uh, iffy uh, controversy with that. Nope, it's just talking about the gameplay with that one. That's what you want to hear. Uh, but then also I've got uh, Star Wars Outer Rim here. So, you know, that one is about to get unboxed and shoved into my copy of Star Wars Outer Rim. So there'll be a Beyond the Base Game video on that. Thank you, Kiender. And also from Kiender, Living Forest. So I played this once at uh, Essen and it wasn't the best demo, uh, mainly because of uh, people I was playing with at the time and, you know, the time it took. But I want to give this one a bit more tries to see if it's uh, worthy of being put in the Kenner Spiel nominations. And, uh, you know, that one's on the cards as well. That shouldn't take too long to get played because it's quite a short game. Is there anything else I need to review? Well, there is stuff on the way, I feel. I can't recall if there was... Well, I've asked Asmodee to bring me founders of Teotihuacan and the other one from Board and Die, Zapotec. I've asked them for review copies, but... Asmodee seems to be a little bit weird at the moment. You know, they have an automated system to get review copies, and it started off really well and really reliable. But lately, we email them and we get no response. Something's not right. Now, I don't know if it's problems internally or perhaps they were busy with the expo, but it's a billion-dollar company. How can you be, like, short-staffed? And it just seems a little bit weird. I'm hoping that there's no kind of blacklisting going on in the background. But, you know, give the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's just a busy period. But they should be at least sending confirmation emails to say we've received your email and that. And it's a little bit concerning because what I'm a little bit worried about, though, is that getting review copies is not easy for me. You know, most, you know, a lot of publishers will not send me anything because they know I'm going to be honest about it, which I know sounds weird, but hey, if you're willing to critique something, you know, people, a lot of publishers want an IGN. That's why the most popular, I mean, it's the same with viewership as well. People are not necessarily watching review videos anymore. They're watching Kickstarter videos. It's all cult of the unreleased now. And so all the most popular stuff on YouTube is typically either a tutorial which, fair enough, is hard to do. Uh, occasionally playthroughs, although it depends. But mainly it's playthroughs if they're for Kickstarter games. And, of course, stuff that looks at Kickstarter. The problem is stuff that looks at Kickstarter doesn't give an opinion. It just tells you about the game, which is not suitable for what I need. I need to know whether the game's good or not before I start chucking my money on it. And so, you know, all the most popular stuff is all about Kickstarter. Do I start getting in on that crowd? But how would I do it? 
the only way I could even think of doing it is probably the dice tower method where I literally just watch a bunch of preview videos and pages for stuff every couple of weeks and then just do a vlog on StreamYard going through the web pages and just giving my thoughts. Let me know if that's something you'd be interested in. I might try and squeeze it in. You know, do is the podcast even working? I mean, as far as I'm aware, people are still listening to it, but you know, would it be easier for me to just not do a broken meeple show and simply just put a bunch of my stuff on audio form and just leave it as that, you know, because one thing I do notice is that there are very few that I can think of, if any, actually, YouTube channels that do a lot on YouTube and also a podcast. There's not many of them. And there may be a good reason as to why it may be trying to sort of break like it's too much. It's trying to do too much and not focusing on another. Uh, but, uh, you know, Instagram and social media are still going well. I mean, Facebook is I know Facebook's declining, but that's always declining. I mean, I post stuff on some of the Facebook groups, even just discussion topics. And I'll be lucky if free people actually look at it. Pretty positive that some of the stuff where, you know, other designers or other people have had a go at me or something it's probably had a knock-on effect so people just ignore it which is a shame because you know it's basically cancel culture on top of that though twitter's not too bad lately i haven't had any trollish activity on there which is shocking for something like twitter but the instagram is still building i think i'm up to 1700 members now i'm trying to boost that up and the recent giveaways have certainly helped with that but yeah the instagram is quite cool and i'm trying to do it Patreon is very stagnant at the moment, and I really am trying to push the Patreon campaign more on the videos because I need that. You know, the more publishers are going to be willing. To, I mean, at the moment, a lot of my review copies come from Asmodee, Kiender, and occasionally the odd publisher who still likes it, but that's not many of them. But Asmodee, as I say, I've been a little unreliable at the moment. So my review copies are basically coming from Kienda, and Zatu did the Catan one. So, and Alicat Games are willing to send me stuff, you know, thank you to them. And in fact, they're going to send me a preview copy of Armin Ray to look at. So I'll be doing that one in the future. But yeah, if I didn't have the sponsorship on the channel, I struggle a lot for review copies. And these games are not cheap. I'd, I'd struggle to fund it if I had to fund every single review copy. Because Patreon money sometimes has to go to a review copy. But the Culture World's a perfect example. You know, Stonemaier won't send me anything anymore ever since the last three games I wrote were negative reviews go figure but you know viticulture world i had to grab myself and same with the battalia and that you know i can only do that with patreon funds you know i live alone i've got to fund everything myself so it's it, it's i really am trying to push for more takers on that but of course i can't force anyone to do anything so yeah bit of a decline in the analytics for the channel i don't know whether this interests you or not sort of knowing how things are going but like behind the scenes but yeah, I'm trying to push it forward. I say maybe some more top 10 lists will help. So I'm going to really try and bang out some of those. It may be that I have to start condensing down how I do formats because reviews are express or detailed and it's hard to do sort of both. It may be that I need to, I need to try and amalgamate the two, like keep it in the detail format, but go a lot quicker. Like, don't put too much, like, fancy effects in it. You know, do it quicker, condense them down. And that means I don't have to do the express review, perhaps. But then top tens need to be done in that, like, more fitting format. And, of course, I could do live ones. So live top tens could work. But, yeah, you know, I, I just need to get some more quality stuff out, I guess. So we'll see how that goes. Like I say, great wedding, not so much on the analytics. But 
on that note, as I say, definitely uh, go check out Ninja Geek Games. So there's a little channel shout out if you want, uh, because Ninja Geek Games, like I say, is Mark Monk has came onto the channel uh, last night. We did our we did our live stream. It was really cool. And he's only got a couple of like a thousand of its subscribers to his name. But seriously, this guy does some pretty cool content. And, you know, he's done a lot of reviews. He's done a lot of a. Uh, I mean, you can look at this selection of videos here, and you can see what I mean about the fact that our lists are very different. Euphia, uh, what is it? Euphia, Kingdom Hearts, uh, uh, with the, the Grudge Match, Proving Grounds, uh, Sobek, Dune Imperium, with the expansion, uh, Dracula, Social Seduction, Cuphead, uh, Damyo, Rebirth of the Empire, Runebound, Perilous Pursuit, and... Yeah, he does a lot of these big games, but there's still a few other ones. I mean, unfathomable, you know, big games. He's very good with these big, like, grandiose Kickstarter games. And here's one called Era of Tribes, which, you know, I've never heard of this Era of Tribes. But it's like about, it's this ridiculously huge 4X civilization game or something. And it looks interesting. I'd never heard of it. But, you know, go watch his video. Eight months ago, only 400 views. But seriously, it might not give it a view. You might actually find something really cool amongst the slots. So, yeah, you know, little shout out there. Hashtag support small creators. But, you know, give Mark some love. Give a fellow Somerset Somersetian <laughs> some love, okay? Because <laughs> I may have left the county, but I'm still a Somerset person at heart. Righty, let's talk about games I've played and i'd better make note of the timestamp here because if i don't do that it's impossible for me to actually keep up and actually remember them when i do them later so there we go take a little swig of my drink lovely jubbly ah who'd be doing this solo i'd be it'd be nice to have someone to control all this but right, let's talk about games i played well just the one game because one of those games i played was merchant of the dark road and I hope to do a short review on that. Well, I need to play it some more before I talk more about it. So that will come. I'll try and do a proper review for that. But for now, we are going to talk about a little tiny, innocent little game called Songbirds. Yeah, lovely little game about birds. Very cute. Very nice. Um, uh, my friends showed me this after we were done with Merchants of the Dark Road on Friday. We basically played some filler games. And it's a nice, like, one to four player game, 20 minutes, way under 2.0, you know, came out 2016, apparently. And look at the cover. It's just a nice, pleasant little background with four charming little songbirds. Granted, one of them looks a bit derpy and the other one looks like he wants to kill you. But other than that, it's, uh, you know, really nice. It's from Daily Magic Games. It's out of print at the moment, but it's going to get reprinted according to the publisher before Christmas this year. So it will come out eventually, but it's come out in other languages as a birdie fight. And yeah, that title alone might suddenly kick you in to think, hang on a minute. I thought you said this was a nice, light, charming little game. Oh, it is a nice, light, charming little game until you play it. And then you realize that your head is about to explode because this is one of the most tense filler card games I've ever played. It's the premise is you have this grid five by five that you build up with the songbird cards. There's four suits, there's seven cards for each. And depending on the player count, all of them or maybe one of them won't be used, you know, but in a free player game we played, it's perfect information. And the, around the side are randomly set up point tokens. And the idea is, is that what you do is that you place the songbirds in the grid. You place a card every term. And 
you know, when the column or row is filled up, whichever songbird is the loudest, i.e. has the highest point total, gets the point token on their color. Uh, if they tie with someone else, then they cancel each other out, and the next uh, loudest songbird gets the point token. So there's some really cool crafty play you can do. But what happens also is that at the end of the game, when all the cards have been filled out, everybody will have one card left in their hand, which is their favorite songbird. And so what happens is that the players score the points for the songbird that they kept in their hand. So if I kept blue in my hand, whichever, let's say the blue uh, birdie got a 10, a 15, and a 7, that means that I'm getting 32 points because I my favorite one is blue. But then you also add the point value of the card you kept to your own total. So you need to have a higher card than other players in order to beat them if they're also going for that songbird. You can figure a lot of this stuff out from perfect information, but oh my word, the tenseness of this game is insane. Absolutely insane. We are playing this and I'm not usually prone to analysis paralysis, but all of us are taking our time with this because you every turn is super important, you know, in terms of like, oh, I need to get this bird. But then you're also getting in each other's heads like, which songbird are you going for? Are you trying to make red win? Is there any way that I can get red to cancel out with green so that blue gets some more points? But then if I make blue too popular early, that means people will just hang on to their blue card, which means I'm probably in a bad position. I can't reveal too much about what I'm doing. There's so much mind game that you, so many mind games you have to play in order to like deal with this you've got like a weird four player variant with this like center card and you know stuff around the outside i think that works i mean that sounds like it could work i mean i've not heard anything bad about it two players is a pretty tense game three player was just oh my word so 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 tense but in a good way this fooled me completely as to what type of game it was because i was expecting a nice like charming game and it turned out to be a mind bender of tension and fear as every time i'm putting out a card i have to think was that the right move or did i just enable somebody else it ah uh, and it turned out i did make a bit of a tactical error early in the game without knowing because it was my first game and it did cost me a bit so you do have to be careful but it's a good little game. I was instantly hooked with this once we got into that tense area. It's hard to find at the moment. I can find it. I do know where to find a copy, but it's going to cost me like £25 in order to get it, which is quite a lot to spend on a small card game that should only be worth about a tenner in terms of its components and that. So I'm in two minds whether to buy it now for that £25 and just ensure I've got a copy of it. Or maybe wait until Christmas for Daily Magic Games to reprint the game and then just get it then. I mean, it's not like I haven't got enough games to play, but it was a nice little game. I really did like it. It was just nice. Pleasant. It worked so well. Such a cool little game. And it was just, I'd never heard of it. Completely flew under my radar, which is not a pun. But yeah, it, I mean, <laughs> I'd love to sing the praises a bit more. Again, that was not a pun either. But it, yeah, lovely little game. But just, Oh, it scares you. It's like, do I put this card here? I don't know. I don't know if it's the right way to do it. It's like, oh, all three of us are just like, ow, it hurts. <laughs> but in the best of ways. So Songbirds for me, first impressions. I'm not going to rate it right now, but whew, it's, would I play it all the time? Is it technically a filler on the basis that you do AP quite a bit in it? Hard to say, but first impressions are definitely at least about an eight. You know, I'm not quite there at the nine yet, 
but it was a really good game, really great, and I definitely want to play it some more, so certainly I'll want them to bring it if I ever see them for filler nights, but yeah, just an unexpected little hidden gem, this one. Definitely worth having a look at if you can, and if you're one of the lucky people who already has a copy, then lucky you, I guess. <laughs> lucky, lucky you. Alrighty, moving on from a game that I've had first impressions of, let's move on to an actual review. So the segment where I do a game on my shelf that I've never actually done a video for, and now it's time to actually talk about it. So in this case, I realized that, yeah, I never actually did a review for this game. I talked about it, and I think I said I was going to play the solo mode first before I reviewed it, but I never got a chance to really play the solo mode, and every time I hear about the solo mode, all I hear is bad stuff. So it makes me think, oh, well, it was a mini expansion. I don't care. So I just had no desire to play that solo mode. So I never actually reviewed the game. Well, now I'm going to review it purely from a multiplayer perspective. Just assume that the, you know, go on BGG and listen to some solo reviews of the game. They don't talk particularly highly of it. So honestly, I would just ignore the fact this game can play solo. And that is. In the Hall of the Mountain King. Yes, Burnt Island Games. I did a first impressions video of the sequel that was on Kickstarter, but I never actually reviewed In the Hall of the Mountain King. And it's like, wow, I've played this enough times to review it. I've given it the beans. It's about time I actually did talk about it. So what exactly is it? Well, let's find a bigger picture here and we'll see because, you know, some of the pictures on this are a little bit on the... Uh, this one looks pretty good. So in the All of the Mountain King, you are essentially digging into this mine and you are a tribe of trolls. And with this, you're building tunnels, which allow you to cover up, like uncover little resources and stuff like that. But predominantly, you're trying to get statues. You're uncovering statues which start on the board at the beginning of the game. And with these statues, the further in that you place the statues in your tunnel, the more points they're worth. But in addition, you can also build uh, like these like hall like these rooms these giant rooms like this one here i mean this is not particularly big but there are bigger and on your tunnels in order to score more points by getting a statue in there but there's also a few points that you can score during the game for various means like building the tunnels themselves will score you points depending on what you make the tunnel out of so make it out of basic stone it won't be worth that much but make it out of a dragon resin or whatever it's called i forget the uh, rare one then the red one here then it's worth more points so there's various ways to get victory points and you can end up with some pretty tight games but the crux mechanic here is done with the use of the trolls themselves. So you can hire trolls into your production chain and you've got three different tiers of them. And obviously the higher the tier, the more powerful they are. But the way the trolls work is that they work on this pyramid system in front of you. So you start off with some starter trolls and they have their production. Resources are put on the trolls themselves. There are ways to get it onto your player board, which is recommended. But for the most part, they stay on the trolls. So you spend them from there. But every time you hire a new troll into your pyramid, you have to put it above it. So kind of construct the pyramid from the ground up. And when you place a new troll, it produces the resources on it, but it also produces the resources on all the trolls that are below it. So when you get to the end, you start producing lots of different resources because obviously like, you know, if I go into the second row here, put this troll down, I've got two trolls below that that are going to produce, then there's three trolls below that that will produce and obviously the troll itself will produce. 
but you need to get the resources off the trolls first because they can't store more than is written on the card. So it's a massive efficiency puzzle with your resource management. Like I dare say this is one of the most like kind of puzzly resource management games I've ever played. But it's a cool system because every time you get one of those trolls, you feel like, oh, yeah, I got stuff now. What can I do with it? Although this game is quite tight with the use of resources. I mean, it costs a fair bit to do the buildings. It costs a fair bit to put the statues and move it all the time. And it's, you know, it's you're going to need those resources in plentiful supply, especially like to dig through things. But there's a couple of other little cool things about it, other than just the fact that the production quality is pretty sound. Uh, if I can find the picture from a while back. But basically, you've got spell cards. Here we go, spell cards. And... Each round, there's, you know, three of them are dished out, and they do really cool stuff. So on these ones here, for example, immediately dig a tunnel, paying for it and following all other digging rules as normal. So you essentially get to dig a tunnel, like, you know, in advance of other things. So you can basically, like, get more tunnels done in the turn. But then there's, like, Hammer of Heroes here. If you dig a tunnel this turn, you can clear a space of rubble without spending a hammer. It's basically the rubble areas need hammers in order to dig through it. It's another resource you got to manage. But these are cool spells, and they do lots of cool stuff. But as soon as players use them collectively three times, they go away and get replaced by another spell. So there's a bit of not necessarily interaction in that sense. I mean, the player interaction is more down to everybody's on the same communal map, so you're trying to not get in each other's way, and obviously you're racing each other for various things. But the fact is, is that everybody can use these spells on their turn. So you may find that you really want to use the spell a lot, but then other players have also got their eye on it. Do you have the crystals in order to use the spell or are they going to use it and then it's going to go away before you get a chance? There's certainly a lot of like, what is my, what are my opponents planning? I need to think about this. What are they doing? And these spells are quite varied and really cool. I would like to have seen maybe even more of them, frankly, but it varies as to whether they go, you know, you know in terms of like how powerful they can be. I have the retail version of this game. The Kickstarter version had these like plastic statues that look really cool and uh, like some upgraded resources and that. However, with the recent Fall of the Mountain King Kickstarter, I ordered the uh, upgraded components. So, you know, for putting the Hall of the Mountain King. So I'm putting my money where my mouth is and saying that, look, you know what, I want upgraded components for this game. But this is a really solid game. It's it's tight. It's definitely not an easy game to play. It's certainly going to punish new players, I think. But you've got multiple ways to sort of kind of score points, even though predominantly it's about the building of tunnels and setting up the statues and runes. But the, you know, the stat, uh, sorry, the spells are varied. There's like little extra points that you can get for like being the first to uncover a particular type of statue, which is weird. It's a little random. And it says keep the point token in front of you until the end of the game and then score it. Well, why? Why not just score it immediately? It makes no difference. It's such a silly, witty rule that you just house rule it. But, you know, the spells are cool. The different trolls are cool. Building up your pyramid is cool. The game ends basically when the pyramid is finished. So you'd be surprised how quickly that can creep up on you sometimes. You know, this game is a good two hours or so, but it's not. I mean, this is kind of midway. I wouldn't call it heavy, although it's on the cusp of being a heavy game. But, you know, it's certainly involved. But it takes about two hours odd. And the, there's not a huge amount of rules to explain when you feel it, when you realize it, because there's only four phases to your turn, and half the time you won't even do two of those phases. So as long as you understand how to build a tunnel each turn you've, and do with the troll production, 
you're most of the way there. The rest of it is just understanding the movement of statues and some of these little workshops that you can buy. But yeah, surprisingly, it's not that hard of a teach. <laughs> it surprised me on my first time doing it. And so I've been quite impressed with this one. Um, it took me ages to get it because everyone was saying, Luke, you've got to try this game. You've got to try this game. And you know, I sort of avoided it for a while. But now I have. And I'm glad I have. You know, it's pretty solid. Not enough, I don't think, to upgrade it to a distinction level. But I think 8 out of 10 is where I would sit with Unholy. Well, 8? Hmm. Well, I get the upgraded components, but I can't really factor that in. Maybe I'd have to just give it a few more plays. I'll probably up it to 9 if it had a decent solo mode, but it turned out it didn't really. And it can go long. It can get long with that. I mean, it says 75 to 90 minutes. I think you are more looking at two hours, really, depending on the number of players. But it's a solid game. I've given it an 8 out of 10. It's a nice seal of endorsement. Great game. One I'd like to play on a fairly frequent basis if I can. That's kind of how the scale works. But yeah, In Hall of Mountain King is just really solid. It's like pure resource management, pick up and deliver tile placement polyomino game even though it's mainly just like you know it's not like massive polyomino thing it's just a case of oh well i'm putting tunnels down and i'm building a little map that's about as far as the whole polyomino thing goes apart from trying to get your tunnels together and excavate so you can do big rooms but yeah it, it's got a lot of uh you know a lot of different mechanics thrown in and there's been a lot of positive reviews of it it's a solid game i mean i'm you know rank five five six it's not bad for a bgg ranking I would kind of like it to be a little bit higher, but, you know, weight 2.82 as if anyone really cares about that scale. But still, I mean, this is not the lightest game in the world. And yes, it can do up to five players. Yeah, don't do five players. That's a bit much. It says best three to four. I agree. I wouldn't recommend this for two players. I think five players is too long. Not to mention the table presence of this board is obscene. I mean, this game takes up a lot of table presence. This is only part of what you're seeing here for like a game here. It's not even the full picture. And you can see that that takes up a ton of space. But it's solid. Three to four players. And you're in with a good time within the Hall of the Mountain King. And I look forward to seeing how in the fall was it the fall of the mountain king does should be pretty sweet all round righty so let's move on 3505 is the time on the clock it's going to be a bit of a shorter episode this time but maybe that's a good thing a little swig of my uh, juice there righty i can't have a tea or coffee this time because it's too hot and it is starting to heat up a bit in here Whew problem with having to have the windows closed because of outside noise is uh heat i don't like heat i i like wet heat i like heat in a hot shower i like a hot sauna i like a heated pool you know i like that kind of heat i don't like hot muggy sweaty heat that is <laughs> is the horrible one but right let's move on to the topic of the day uh, i haven't really got any news to talk about here because not much has really happened in the news i've been keeping up with some of it and it's like yeah not particularly interesting not particularly interesting whatever but what do we got to talk about? Expansions. There's a lot of uh, buzz at the, at the moment with Viticulture World uh, now shipping to people, but also um, uh, Star Wars Outer Rim has the expansion come out. And everybody has been clamoring for an expansion to Star Wars Outer Rim. For years we've been asking for it. And finally we have it. And so far the buzz is that it's a particularly good expansion. And the question is, why is it a good expansion? I mean, I don't know. I haven't tried it yet. But, you know, the buzz 
you know, there's a lot of buzz about it. And Paul Grogan is a big fan of Outer Rim. And I do trust his opinion when it comes to uh, the Star Wars games, because I know that, you know, we enjoy a lot of the Star Wars games ourselves. So, you know, I trust his opinion and I believe it. And from his playthroughs, it does look pretty good. You know, go check out his uh, playthroughs he's done. He's, I don't know if he's done the solo one yet, but he has done the group playthrough of Outer Rim with Unfinished Business. So uh, go check out Gaming Rules to find out more. But, you know, why is this expansion now really popular? And what was it that we wanted in it in the first place? So I figured I'd talk about what I want in an expansion, because when a new game gets announced, I'm less in, in fraud about it. I know there are people out there who literally the first time anything appears on Kickstarter, they're like, <laughs> you know, I, I got to have it. I got to have it. And uh, given that uh, one of the new games on Kickstarter is actually about walking dogs, that's actually more apt than it sounds. But, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's Kickstarter. I got to go buy it. I got to go buy it. Oh, look, the IGN crowd of people have told us it's great uh, uh, that we should buy it, even though they never say a negative review about any Kickstarter. It's like, hmm, you know, it's it's not the way I like to go. So new games don't impress me as much as they used to. I mean, I hear about them and they go, that'd be cool. I'll check it out when it comes out. Or that seems cool. I might back it on Kickstarter if I want the deluxe components or if it's a theme I'm particularly interested in, but otherwise I might be like, yeah, I'll wait, I'll wait. I don't desperately need it anymore. I'm a bit more conscious with my money, but I certainly like finding little hidden gems along the way. I mean, Alice's Garden was a perfect hidden gem for me, and I mentioned Songbird, so that's a hidden gem. Uh, Subastral we played the other night as well, actually, and that's been quite nice. I quite like that little game. It's just a nice little classic feeling card game, uh, nice and quick. And that one's enjoyable. So I'm more interested in a lot of these little fillers now, but getting off topic. So expansions are the ones that get me more excited because I'm already like, oh yeah, I really like this game. I really like this game. And now I get more content for it. Yay. It's, it's something I can get excited for. I mean, certainly I was definitely down for more Outer Rim content. <laughs> But there have been other expansions lately, and I've done, like I say, the uh, Works of Wonder, the Architects of the West Kingdom got that second expansion in. And even though I don't think it's as good as the first expansion, there's reasons as to why, I still think it was pretty solid. So I just want to kind of summarize what it is I look for more. So first thing I will mention is that I like to get predominantly, and this is probably the biggest thing that I ask for, is more variety. So more variety in the game itself. So, for example, you know, Star Wars Outer Rim. Let's actually load up Outer Rim on the screen here. So Outer Rim, Unfinished Business. Uh, I'm hoping this will really boost Outer Rim for me because the uh, base game was starting to get a little bit stale. And that's the thing. More variety. Because the biggest problem that Outer Rim had was that the market decks and the various contacts and stuff like that you saw pretty much all of them in the first couple of games, and it meant that you weren't really getting new stuff. The game was still solid, but it meant that you didn't want to bring the game out like as often as you'd like. But Outer Rim now basically like introduces more content to bolster those decks. And that's really what we were hoping for. And to be honest, it's the easiest way to bolster, you know, to boost a game and get it back on the table. Because in the description here, characters, ships, gears, bounties, jobs, encounters, and even dice, right? Okay, so that is all stuff that was already in the game. They've just given you more of it. So now you've got more ships, or, you know, I've got a Jump Master 5000, or a Rogue Class Starfighter, you know, the, let's get some more pictures here, you've got 
eight more characters. You've got, you know, Dengar, you've got, I forget his name, Kurt Stan or something, uh, the, the, you know, the dark, che the dark Chewie, as I call him, from the uh, Boba Fett series. You've got Cad Bane, one of the best Star Wars characters that has come out. I thought the live, I thought the, they didn't do him enough justice in the, uh, the Boba Fett series. But he did look awesome, and he did sound awesome. So, uh, yeah, Cad Bane is just brilliant. I mean, if you really want to get Cad Bane at his best, just watch Star Wars, Clone Wars, and Rebels. He's such a cool bounty hunter. Uh, but then you've got Chewbacca again somewhere. He's not on this particular picture. You've got Hera from Star Wars Rebels, you know, really cool pilot. I forget her name, this tiny little, uh, I don't know, little orange thing from uh, Force Awakens who really seemed to have a bit of a wasted character, but fine, she's in the game now. And I think he's called Hondu, Honshu. I forget what he's from. Ah, uh, I'm going to have to revoke my Star Wars card for this. I get the feeling it was Clone Wars somewhere that he was in. But I say I could be wrong. My Star Wars knowledge is based entirely off TV and movies, frankly. So I don't know anything about the expanded universe. But, you know, having more cargo, having more weapons, just having more encounters in general uh, that you can see. And, and like I say, having more characters. And now I can pick all sorts of different people to use, uh, different ships and more encounters to go at and these little starting objective things. You know, all of this is stuff that you've seen in the game already. But now they've like doubled the content. And it's so easy to put these into expansions because all you got to do is just shuffle them in. You don't have to change anything. You just go, right, my market deck was this big and now it's this big. And all you do is shuffle them in. Great. I bought the game, paid extra money, and I got more stuff. And I don't have to worry about telling people it's an expansion because it's already part of the game. It's the best form of DLC if we're talking from a video game perspective. Because I like my I like my PC games and downloadable content. DLC is a big thing with those. And the best DLC you can get is DLC, which simply just gives you more missions half the time. It's like, I've played a bunch of Borderlands 2. Oh, there's DLC for another section of uh, missions. No extra mechanics. It's just another campaign that you can go through and go shoot and kill stuff and get more loot. You know what? Great. I'm up for that kind of DLC when it's done right. So I'm trying to give another example for variety's sake. I mean, Fantasy Flight is typically the one that does just more of the good stuff, which, to be fair, you know, good on them for doing that. But yeah, Edge of Darkness, the niche game I've got from Alderac down there. I mean, that one has all sorts of content in it, although that one's probably a bit more of a weird example because I haven't even played most of the content in it, which makes it uh, problematic. But yeah, Viticulture, if we're on that subject, you know, those two little mini packs they gave you, the Rhine Valley and more visitors, it gave you more visitor cards. No new mechanics, you just have to play with more cards. Uh, come on, there's going to be an example I can see on my shelf. Uh, uh, Wingspan would be a good one, actually, Wingspan, because uh, Wingspan gave you more birds and you had to learn like one type of new power. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> it's like, what did it matter? Uh, War Chest, uh, that got given more, uh, more faction like uh, tokens to use. Smash Up and Sentinels in the Multiverse and things like that. They just give you more you know, more heroes, more villains and that to play with. And that's always a good way that I like to see expansions do. Just give me more of the good stuff. You know we already enjoy it. We want more of it. Now, you can go too far. I mentioned Edge of Darkness. That's probably an example where they go too far. It hasn't stopped me back in the latest one, probably like an idiot. But uh, yeah, it's like, when am I ever going to see all that content? And big games like Tainted Grail and Etherfields and all those like big campaign games... They're another problem. I mean, I have still got 
the the Red Death and Age of Legends campaigns to do in Tainted Grail down there. When am I going to get a chance to do those? I've got uh, a new uh, the Spreading War campaign for the L L Journeys in Middle Earth, Lord of the Rings. When am I going to get a chance to do that? It's I think campaigns are the bigger problem because I know I mentioned like the Borderlands example for a DSO campaign, but when they come out with so many campaigns, I'm a little bit annoyed. You know, just one campaign is all I need in a base box and maybe some standalone scenarios. And then the DLC can be more uh, more like things. But release them over time. You know, I don't have to feel like I got them all at the beginning from a Kickstarter. But I don't know. Those are some like sort of out there like options. But yeah, that's definitely a big thing. More variety. Just give me more of the good stuff, more choices, more options. I'm all good. Right. In terms of the mechanics, I'm more interested if it's just like one mechanic, extra board, maybe that kind of thing. When a game floods you with far too many new mechanics, it makes you think that the original game wasn't designed fully, but also it means that it's harder to integrate the game. Now, um, we'll, actually, we'll get onto that a little bit later, but you can say, I want the mechanics, if they're going to introduce new stuff, don't make them stupidly complicated. I don't want to have to teach practically another game's worth of content to on top of the base game. A small mechanic that just, you know, is easy enough to teach and integrate, but does a good job of boosting the game or maybe fixing a balance issue in some way is a good, is a good way to do it. And Age of Artisans for West Kingdom is a perfect example of where I can say that was the case. So, this was a, an expansion I gave a seal of distinction to, and I have done a video of this, so you can definitely check that one out as well. It might be on the base game series, but Age of Artisans. This introduces, again, more variety. Uh, you know, so you basically have, you know, more apprentices that you can have. You've got, um, you know, more like different things that you can buy and stuff. And it's like, you know, that's cool. Give me more apprentices. Give me more characters to play. You know, that's already a good start. But the new mechanic that this one did was you had the artisans uh, in there. So when you went to the guild hall, you could now like double stack your meeples in order to gain tools or uh, improvements. The improvements were great because it balanced out the fact that you had so much money in your pocket after time in the base game that you didn't know what to do with it. Well, now you go and spend a lot of money on here and get those improvements. The improvements give you an instant bonus and give you points at the end of the game. Great. It's a nice little tactical choice. But the the tools, which don't cost you money, are really cool because they allow you to boost up your apprentices. So this one here, for example, is a simple a simple one here. Uh, so now my squire, every time his ability triggers, he also has this bit at the bottom. Now this one is a, uh, a standard like passive thing. It just gives him all the free tool symbols. But you can get ones where every time you trigger the enforcer and drop people in prison, you also get an extra wood or something like that. And it just it allows you to customize all your different apprentices and that and create more options and more ways to play. Again, increases the variety of paths to victory. But in terms of teaching the mechanic, it's super simple. All I've got to teach you is that guild hall bit and how, uh, and literally I've just taught you it all. Literally in that little blurb is what you need to know, how improvements work and how the tools work. That's it. I've thrown it into every single game and I've never had to remove it you know, to teach. I've just literally put this little board on there, taught the tools and the improvements. There's four cards around the outside and you just carry on as normal. Fantastic expansion. That's definitely the way to do it if you're going to throw in more mechanics. Don't throw in a ton of mechanics 
and certainly don't do the thing of, oh, here's, look, we've released this expansion with eight whole modules. Look, eight modules that you can add to the game, even though five of them are going to be rubbish and two of them you'll use every time and one of them doesn't really count as a module. Yeah, Ginkopolis expansion much, you know, that had problems with it. Every time they say the word modular expansion, it just makes me feel like, uh, I don't know, this is just little bolt-ons that are just like, oh, we don't really know which one of these will work. You guys figure it out. You know, no, you tell me what this expansion should include. Don't let me choose which mechanics I need to include. Design your expansion so that the mechanics included are great. So Artisans is really cool now. Now, this feeds on very nicely to the bit I was talking about, integration. This also couples with easy storage. A expansion, a good expansion should be easily integratable. So in the sense that like with artisans there, I can teach it with the base game and nobody should never know it was even an expansion package. Now Works of Wonder is a little harder to teach with the base game to new players, but it's not impossible. But there is that little issue that the more expansions you have, the harder it is in order for this to work. And so as much as I like seeing an expansion to a game I like, if I see new mechanics being introduced into every expansion that comes out for a game, I'm a little bit more skeptical the further down the line we go. But here, easy storage should be a thing. So, you know, if you buy the Cities of Splendor expansion, for example, for Splendor, you know, everybody talked about the fact that uh, everything, the box was way too big for the original expansion. Well, Cities of Splendor, fits in the base box. So I can literally just buy Cities of Splendor and shove it straight in the box and all happy days, really. Uh, try thinking some others. Let's see. Um, Nidavellir, uh, the game that I've, I haven't played enough of, but that one, uh, you've got Fingvellir or whatever it is, and there's a new one coming out. They're tiny little boxes. You just chuck them in the big box and you're good to go, really. Uh, come on, there's got to be something. Uh, Fields of Arl. I mean, big expansion, tea and trade, but I've got it all in the big box, you know, so it all fits in there. And you can integrate even that expansion quite well. I mean, there's a lot of rules in the game anyway, but you can integrate it pretty easily. It doesn't feel like such a massive disconnect. But yeah, so this one's quite an easy one. It's just a case of, look, don't make me store multiple boxes. I hate that. <laughs> and lots of other people do. It's like, uh, well, actually, yeah, case in point, Baron Park. <sighs> Crying out loud. I mean, this one. You know, great game, although it has potentially been replaced by Alice's Garden now. But this one, let me get it on the screen here. Right, so you can see it's got a lot of box lift. And I don't have a choice in that fact, because the insert in here does keep things organized. But the expansion, I mean, this, this box was barely big enough to hold. Um, well, it was big enough to hold the stuff originally, but the expansion box was small. And it included these like little monorails that you had to assemble and stuff like that. And they didn't make the expansion box big enough to fit all the content. And it barely fits in the base box. That's a fail. Absolute fail in terms of storage needs. And it's something that you should easily be able to tell when you're producing a game. I don't think publishers have a leg to stand on when they mess up storage for a board game. They should know what the game can store like. They get these production copy boxes from China or wherever they get them manufactured. They get samples. They can see what will fit in it and what won't. So they know these things won't store things properly. It's not something that just misses quality control. That's rubbish. So anytime I see a storage faux pas with a publisher, 
I will give them hell because I believe it's just laziness and cost cutting and not enough care for your game. Ah, anyway, ran over. Uh, next one. Uh, it's a small one, but it's one that does egg me. No added players, please. You know, occasionally it works. The wor um, I mean, Architects of the West Kingdom actually surprisingly can still work with six players, which is kind of weird. But, you know, just stop adding more players. It's just not on. I mean, it's bad enough that in stretch goals, you have to basically go, oh, all right, then I'll add a fifth player because it's a stretch goal. Look, you're unlocking so much new content for this game. As if anybody wants to play your stupid two to three hour game with five players, so it takes half a day. Like, come on, stop using it as a crutch to make your campaigns better. But an example of this one, though, I think was Five Tribes. Now, Five Tribes, I think, works perfectly well, even without the expansions, frankly. So this is probably an example where I think it goes a bit too far with the new mechanics, because this um, Artisans of Nakala one introduces an entire new tribe with its own mechanic. And that's not too bad in itself, but... There's a lot of weird little fiddly rules as to how these artisans and magic items work. So not only have I got to teach you how this tribe works, but then you have to constantly look at the rules to know what all the little magical artifacts do. That takes it a step too far from easy integration. It certainly is already a pretty mind-bendy game for new players as it is. You know, you've got a lot of new stuff here. But I think it also added another player. I'm not certain, but I feel... I feel pretty certain that this one or the other one, Whims of the Sultan, added a new player. I know one of them did. Maybe it was Whims of the Sultan. Let me have a look. Whims of the Sultan. This one, this, this one I thought was a better expansion um, because this one basically, ah, here we go, two to five. Yes, was that it? So uh, let's see, five tribes added. Yes, here we go. Contains all the components needed to play five player games of five tribes. Really? I mean, playing this with four players is already a long AP-prone madness. Why would you play this with five players? Just because it's called five tribes does not mean you had to bring it up to five. I mean, you even added a six tribes, and now you're playing a six tribes game with five players. I can't think of anything more hellish. No, I don't want extra players. So take that out. But Sultans then gives you these really cool sort of mini objectives that you can complete during a game for extra points. Cool. It's a cool expansion. I recommend that really over the Artisans one. I would actually get this instead of the Artisans one, frankly. But yeah, these were going a step too far in terms of the mechanics. Like They didn't really add more of the good stuff. They added entire new things that you had to teach on top of the base game. And, and say, Whims of the Sultan is not something I would want to throw into every game because it is very involved. And so, you know, you have that problem. So it's got to be, you know, just... It's a small nibble, but yeah, stop adding more players. Stop trying to boost your games to five players when they really shouldn't just to sell more copies. You know, I'm not stupid. I can see right through it, and I hope that many other people aren't stupid either. We don't need it. Stop it. But, uh, and then lastly, value for money slash packaging. If you're going to charge me a, almost the equivalent of another game or the same game I bought to get the expansion you better make it worth that cost. You know, there's a lot of... I mean, Cities of Splendor, I mentioned earlier, is really bad for its uh, like value for money. It's really expensive for what you get. But then, you know, Outer Rim... I mean, what did Outer Rim cost? I think Outer Rim was something like... Uh, I'm not going to bring it up on screen, but UK board game prices, Outer Rim Unfinished Business. Okay. In the UK, it retails for 
35 plus pounds, depending on like including shipping that. So you're talking 35 plus quid to buy it. Um, how much does the normal game cost? So that's 35 pounds for Outer Rim and 50 pounds or so for the game. So you are paying almost the cost of the base game to get an expansion. Okay, 50 pounds, then 35. That is like what, like 70, 75 odd percent of the. 65, 70, oh, I can't bother to count, but, you know, it, it's a lot of, it's a more than half of the value of the base game just to get an expansion for it. That's a lot of money. A lot of money, you know, and that's just the Outer Rim ex example. There's plenty of other ones that are possibly even worse. So, you know, give me the value for money. But then packaging-wise, some of that money is wasted on the packaging. Like, I guarantee if this all fits in the main, main box then this box with all the nice artwork in that is going to get chucked away. It seems pointless. Some expansion boxes have inserts in them. Why? If it all fits in the base box, why do you need to waste money on the insert? But uh, th there's just a lot of them where it's just you buy so much air in these expansion boxes, knowing you're going to chuck them away. Why don't you just cut the cost of the box, uh, the product, and just give it to us in a you know crappy little box? Just a little, like, flimsy thing. Give it to us in a bag, even. But maybe just, like, give us a small box with the components in it that you know we're going to chuck away. Why not do that? Because that just feels like it would be better. Now, I get it. Punch boards usually get in the way of that. And they need to be quite big and thick. But, yeah, don't spend so much money packaging your expansion knowing we're going to chuck it away. Now, great little mini expansions, though, where the cost is actually really small are a cool thing so a good example for that would be cats and dogs the expansion for fort so fort as much as i'm not a massive root fan i do give leader games credit for fort a uh, really cool deck builder so fort is a tiny little expansion it comes in this tiny little top box here it's like what like about a cent two centimeters wide and about on estimate 10 centimeters or so big i mean it's a small tuck box it contains two mini expansions and you know decent amount of content i mean decent amount of cards a little mini rule book and four tiles for the dog houses both modules are easy enough to throw into a game frankly um i usually i i don't know i mean hit and miss but i can easily take them out so again integration it's easy to take the expansion out of the game as well as put it in the game it works both ways but the cats and dogs are really good fun to throw into a game of fort. Uh, I forget how much it costs, but it's not expensive. I think there was a period of time where you could get this for about eight to ten quid. Eight to ten quid. Now, granted, that I mean it is relative because thirty-five pounds for an expansion to Outer Rim and the game costs fifty quid. This is paying about ten pounds for a mini expansion to a game that costs you about twenty. So this is still half the cost of the base game to get this expansion, which does seem like quite a bit relative-wise. But £10, not a huge amount of money. So £10 for an expansion is great. And, you know, it does. It comes in a tiny little tuck box that you do not keep. You chuck the tuck box away and it all just integrates into the box. But they didn't waste money trying to make this huge, like, packaging or anything like that. It's just nice and small. You shove it in and you don't look back, frankly. Uh, what other ex examples would be for that? Um, I'm trying to think. There was, I know there were some games where they actually released the expansions in bags, and I can't think of any off the top of my head. But I have seen times where it's like, yeah, we're just giving you a bag, like a polybook bag or whatever components. 
Throw the expansion in your game. Why do I need to waste money giving you a box? Fantastic. But LCGs are a pain for this one. So think of games like Marvel Champions and uh, you know Arkham Horror and that. You have to buy these packs when you get them in... Uh, let's see. I wonder if I can find an image for the pack itself. Uh, no, it would just be the cover, I suspect. Actually, this might work. Yeah, so you buy these little plastic packs and... These packs are like big plastic. They've got an artwork sleeve in it. Something else that you can put in the box. It's got some writing on it and the cards. But, you know, it's not a it's a custom made plastic holder thing that you instantly open and instantly chuck away. Like nobody keeps these little cases. And each of these packs is like 13 pound, 14 pound. I mean, they're quite expensive for what you get. I think these ones and hasn't stopped me buying them for multiple LCGs, so I've only got myself to blame on that one. But yeah, the cost does rack up. I'd like the expansion to not cost the ends of the earth for it. What's the most expensive expansion I can think of, though? An expansion that costs as much as the base game. Ugh, I can't think. I mean, the Nemesis, I'm looking at the wall there. Nemesis is a quite an expensive one for expansions. I suppose the Edge of Darkness one I mentioned is pretty expensive. Um. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know really. Uh nah. Somebody in the comments, you know, remind me of some expansions that cost the same or more than the original base game that came with it. Because I know there are examples, and I swear there's one that's gonna make me kick myself for not remembering it, but I'd be curious to know if you know of any. But yeah, I mean, I look at the wall, actually, and I surely looked at that when I did, because my wall at the opposite end of this room is expansion boxes that I've put on top of it, you know, as a nice little thing. I don't know if I can really uh, get the, I don't know, can I get the camera off this thing? Here we go. Let me take the webcam off there. Sorry if you're listening to this in audio form, but it's just the way it is. So over there, uh, state of alley plate. So here we go. So for those of you watching in YouTube land, you can see that as well as the little Sentinels poster that I've kept because it's signed by the designers, um, I have got some expansion boxes on the wall. And granted, you might think, well, the shape's a little bit weird. That's because people sit there and I don't want boxes to be protruding them because this table is too big and uh, I'm trying to get a smaller one, but Geek is not really dragging their heels to get my replacement to me. Seriously, seriously, get on with your customer service. But that's another story. But yeah, I mean, um, Age of Artisans over there. Uh, let's see, Seven Wonders Leaders, example of a really good uh, expansion. Yeah, I love playing that with this. Rune Stones, the Enchanted Forest and the Rune Stones. Are, they were good expansions. I mean, you literally just, uh, um, what did you do? Yeah, you just pretty much, I mean, I can I can take out the module for the, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the Enchanted Forest bit, but I can keep the Rune Stones they threw in and the previous one with the Banshees and that. I throw that into every game and don't even tell people it was an expansion. Uh, Edge of Darkness, Abyss, Leviathan, the video I did for that, the one expansion that's like a must-have for it, uh, the Journeys of Love, Scoundrels of Skullport, very popular, uh, Aquatica Cold Waters, it was kind of necessary, but it's not the best expansion in the world, Mystic Veil, Mysterium, oh, Spirit Island, how could I forget, I mean, Spirit Island, Branching Claw introduced a couple of new mechanics, but they were easy to throw into the game, as well as a little bit of extra variety, and then you got Jagged Earth, eventually, which was such a good expansion for just simply saying, look, I want to give you a ton of variety, here you go, yeah, so, you know, that's kind of the deal with expansions. I like to have more variety, more of the good stuff, not too many new mechanics. You know, let's not overcomplicate a game. 
make it easy to store, make it easy to integrate, whether that means teaching it with the base game or being able to remove it easily without too much hassle. Because some I don't mind if it's an expansion I can't teach with the base game to new players, as long as I can easily remove it and keep it aside. That's not too bad. Uh, stop it with the no added players nonsense and give me value for money. And that's kind of the way it is. Be interested to know your thoughts, though. By all means, leave it in the comments. I can already hear people coming outside, uh, kid noises, and when it when kids are involved, that means loud screeching because they don't have something called a volume control. You can tell I'm more of a pets person, right? Yeah, they are really loud. Anyway, I'm going to wrap this up now before they get they drive me nuts. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this podcast. As you remember, as always, it's only a game. Uh, as I mentioned, check out Ninja Geek Games, subscribe to this channel, and you know, and give them some love. Uh, definitely check out Gaming Rules as well for the videos for Outer Rim that he's done recently. You know, they you know give you a nice indication of whether you're going to like the expansion or not. Uh, I plead, if you can, if you can spare some support for the channel, the Patreon campaign is running. I would like to be able to do more for Patreon-specific stuff. It's just time is a problem. But, you know, with publishers and Brexit and all that stuff sort of getting in the way of review copies, it, every little bit is needed in order to keep this channel going because it's essentially funding itself. But there's only so much room to spread. I want to get a C-stand for, you know, like uh, Slicker Drips does uh, for and an overhead camera and maybe start doing some playthrough videos. C stand would cost me a good 180 quid to get a decent one. And uh, another camera, yes, I've got the camera I use normally, but it's big, it's heavy, and I need that. And I would like to get a 4K capable camera to use for a playthrough because you really do need as good quality videos you can get. But although 4K would be quite big, maybe I might go back on that. But like I say, I just think that camera would be too heavy for the C stand. And so I might need to get another camera, and that's going to cost money. And which which camera do I get? You know, and then how do I connect it up to my laptop and StreamYard maybe? I mean, StreamYard can do multiple cameras, but it's going to take time, which I don't have a lot of, and it's going to cost a bucket load of money. So anybody who can help with the Patreon, I, I love you all. I love you all. You are keeping this channel going. I wouldn't be here without you, and i got to give you all the praise I can. But other than that, check out the recent videos. Uh, the giveaway for Kiender, the uh, UK one, I think is going to end tomorrow. So I'll select a winner on that day. Uh, the Zatu one, I think I'm going to keep running until the following Monday. So, you know, get in on that one if you uh, want to win a like Catan base set or expansion to the game. Um, obviously, check out the other videos I've done. Check out the live stream we did, the six player games. And also be on the lookout for the content coming in the near future, including more top tens, I'd like to hope. So that's it for me. Take care, everybody. And remember, as always, it's only a game. Love you all. Bye for now. Be quiet, kids.